Section 5 of Essays on Prohibition. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Prohibition, Why? by Silas C. Swallow, candidate of the Prohibition Party for the Presidency of the United States. The use of alcoholic liquors for beverage purposes has never benefited one human being, either physically, intellectually, morally, or financially, in all the history of the world. But, on the other hand, it has injured and even ruined millions of human beings for time and eternity. Therefore, the liquor traffic, sales in which in the United States last year amounted to over one billion four hundred million dollars, has been and is a curse to the individual, to the family, and especially to that defenseless portion known as women and children, to labor, which it cripples, and to the taxpayers, who must pay for the support of the paupers, the criminals, and the insane it produces. Hence it is not true that, if you let liquor alone it won't hurt you. The innocent must suffer with the guilty, the abstaining taxpayer must pay his own taxes, and, in addition thereto, the taxes which the drinker could have paid but for his indulgence. The traffic is such an enemy to the church, and to the highest interests of the race, as championed by the church, that Catholicism is organizing everywhere total abstinent societies, and Protestantism, through several of its denominational utterances, has said that, quote, no political party should receive the support of Christian men so long as it fails to put itself on record in an attitude of open hostility to the liquor traffic. End quote. Both the Republican and the Democratic parties, having thus failed, men who vote for either thereby vote themselves as unchristian, since a man who does what he knows he ought not to do is not a Christian. Many civic societies have excluded liquor sellers from eligibility to membership therein. Many liquor sellers will employ only abstainers to handle their poison. Many life insurance companies make a special premium for abstainers. Few employers will tolerate drinking habits in their employees. 800,000 of the 1.2 million employees on American railways are under orders neither to drink intoxicants nor enter the places where intoxicants are sold, on penalty of dismissal from service. The Supreme Court of the United States, on December 5, 1887, declared that, quote, It is within the discretionary police powers of a state to protect public health, safety, and morals, even by the destruction of property, and that the Kansas laws, providing for the destruction of property used in connection with liquor selling, do not violate the provision of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution against the destruction of property, end quote. That was equivalent to saying that the machinery and wares of the liquor seller are not property. Again, the Supreme Court said, quote, No legislature can bargain away the public health or the public morals. The people themselves cannot do it, much less their servants, end quote. And yet the United States government in 1862 entered into, and has ever since continued, a co-partnership with the liquor traffic, 
sharing its profits as revenue, and protecting its interests, since taxation always implies protection to the man and to the property taxed. The government's share of the blood money is less than two hundred millions. For every dollar of revenue, it costs the government over sixteen dollars to care for the results of the business, as found in asylums, almshouses, and criminal courts. The national government overrides state prohibitory laws, sending its poison into prohibition states, and there legalizing its sale in violation of state laws. It is estimated that three-fourths of our eighty millions of people are total abstainers. The one-fourth drink an average of seventy dollars worth of liquor annually. A family of six persons would thus consume four hundred and twenty dollars worth, if all drank, or enough to pay for a very comfortable home every two years. Of the twenty millions who drink, one-half are practically homeless. They live principally in the slums of our cities and towns. They constitute the dangerous classes. The politicians, from president down, in some instances knowingly, or in willful ignorance, depend largely on the buying of this slum vote to carry the elections. The party managers claim that it required over six millions of dollars to elect Mr. McKinley. Much of this money was spent in corrupting the ballot. M. S. Quay, who managed the Harrison campaign, said, quote, As goes New York State, so goes the Union. As goes New York City, so goes the State. As goes one ward, so goes the city. Hurry on your money. End quote. And the money rolled in almost as freely as water, certainly as freely as whiskey. The ward was carried, so was the city, the state, the nation. It has come to be understood that no political party which antagonizes the rum vote can elect its candidates. The 250,000 liquor sellers vote solidly for the man they want. They know neither morals nor politics, but only business. Each dealer is supposed to control ten votes. Thus, two and a half millions of votes go with the party that is likely to do most for their business, or at least that will promise most. The church vote of five millions, on the other hand, divides on the question of the tariff, even at a time when the difference in the revenue between a Republican tariff bill and one presented by the Democrats was less than fifty millions, while the direct cost for liquor that very year was twenty-five times that amount. The church vote, therefore, practically joins with that of the crime-makers to fill jails, asylums, almshouses, and penitentiaries, and at the same time to deplete the churches. The members of the churches do so under the stress of party spirit, for the purpose of keeping in line with the strong parties, which are greatly in the majority as compared with the prohibition partisan forces, and ostensibly for saving the country, just this once more, from the great calamity of having the other party candidates elected. When it is said that prohibition don't prohibit, it is meant that prohibition don't annihilate. This is true of the prohibitions of arson, larceny, murder, and all the other crimes in the catalogue, and yet no one clamors for the repeal of the laws against them on the ground, forsooth, that prohibition don't prohibit. 
when we remember that the national drink bill last year was more than twice as much as the capital stock of all the national banks, that it was more than half as much as the amount of deposits in all our savings banks, that it was one-third more than our entire public debt, that it was one-half as much as the value of all our domestic animals, that it was more than half of the value of all our farm products, that it was little less than the capitalization of all the industrial combinations, including the much-complained-of trusts as they existed in 1900, that it was a third more than our total imports of merchandise, and a twelfth more than all of our exports, and then when we remember that the people who consumed this liquid poison would have been infinitely better off if they had made a big bonfire of their money instead of purchasing with it a substance hurtful to all the interests of the individual, the family, the community, the state, and the nation, we have reason to lament our folly and wonder whether it will ever end. Just now many thousands of laborers are on strike for more remunerative wages, in order that they may have the full dinner pail promised four years ago, but which in too many instances is nearly empty, because of the excessive cost of living, growing out of the cornering of the necessities of life by unscrupulous worshippers of mammon. On the other hand, many employers of labor are suspending their employees, on the plea that there has been an overproduction, and that we must wait till the stock is reduced as the result of the buyers catching up with the producers. The real reason for this distress among workmen, in the midst of plenty, is not overproduction, but underconsumption. Instead of spending over fourteen hundred millions of dollars for liquid poison, if this enormous sum had been spent in the purchase of shoes for the millions of bare feet, for hats with which to cover hitherto hatless heads, for cotton and woolen goods to take the place of the rags and tatters in which the denizens of the slums are everywhere arrayed, for carpets to cover the bare floors of the tenement districts, for tables and chairs and stoves and bedding and food, all of which would have so greatly ministered to the physical comfort, the intellectual growth, and the spiritual uplift of the submerged classes, every factory would now be running on full time, new factories would be in process of building, railroads would be stretching out their iron arms to communities hitherto unfamiliar with the music of the locomotive's whistle, and such an era of prosperity would be dawning upon this land as the world never dreamed of before. We are in the midst of a conflict as irrepressible as was that concerning slavery forty-five years ago, when the Greeleys and Garrisons, the Garrett Smiths, the Phillipses, the Sumners, and the Sewards, raised the battle cry that, quote, this country could not remain half free and half slave, end quote. The conviction is growing rapidly upon the American people that this country cannot long remain half drunk and half sober that the profit-sharing partnership existing between the government and the liquor business must soon be dissolved, or that there will come to us as a nation such punishment, in the form of national reverses, as history shows us has come to all the nations who have put upon their coin, in God we trust, while they study to do the work of the devil. In conclusion, let me say, in the language of another, that there is honor enough in American citizenship 
to warrant the appeal now being made to it by the Prohibition Party. The same hands that made the traffic secure through the ballot will yet, by the same process, rob it of its defense. Trembling before the thunders of a righteous wrath, it will flee for shelter, and there shall none be found. But, unmourned and unpitied, like a hunted beast brought to earth at last, it will shrink and shrivel and die before the blasting power of an awakened national conscience. Silas C. Swallow End of Section 5